gotta tell somebody. This is the best thing I've ever seen. That. Let's talk about that. Let's you talk need about this. that. Listen to this. Memorable and exciting. Well, then be less boring. I'm gonna tell everyone. Wait here. Quite a remarkable big daddy. Remarkable. Remarkable. Welcome to Remarkable, a podcast for B2B marketers that deconstructs the most iconic moments in film, television, pop culture, and advertising for a single purpose, to give you, the B2B marketer, the same storytelling techniques that the pros use. In each episode, you will learn techniques from Hollywood, Pixar, Marvel, and beyond, from Spielberg's hands to yours, bringing remarkable content ideas to you every single week. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. This is Remarkable, and today we are joined by a very special guest. Who gives Jerry a DJ horn? Have you heard of HubSpot? Kyle, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Excited to have you on the show. We're going to chat all about HubSpot and the amazing network that you've built and many other things with new media strategy, scaling, YouTube, all that stuff. So let's get into it. First, tell us a little bit about the HubSpot network that you're working on and that y'all have built. Yeah. So HubSpot has really built out a media division over the last couple of years. Historically, we've had a content marketing team that was working on bringing inbound traffic and converting that traffic into leads for the business. Little over two years ago, um, we brought on The Hustle, which was an independent media company known for their newsletter uh, in business and tech. They also had a very successful podcast in My First Million. And a paid community in Trends. And they joined uh, the HubSpot company, and we brought those two teams together and built out HubSpot Media. And HubSpot Media at this point has over 50 employees, editors, writers, producers, talent, all working on different media properties for our core audiences. And so within our department, we have a team focused on our core blogs. We have a team that's building out newsletters for each one of our audiences. We've built a new podcast network over the last couple of years. Here at HubSpot, since we're all about helping businesses grow better, we decided to take it to the next level. That's right. HubSpot now has a brand new podcast network. And we've started to invest a lot in YouTube. We think that's going to be a platform most of our prospects and customers are moving to over the next couple of years. And so we've built out this team and we're consistently putting out content and building a new portfolio in the business category. I am a huge believer in serialized content. We we wrote an ebook called the Serialized Content Framework. So I am obviously already drinking the Kool-Aid on all this stuff. But why was it important for y'all to build a podcast network? Why was it important for y'all to build a YouTube network? Yeah, I think we just firmly believe that there's a shift happening, right? As marketers, our job is to create demand in the market and capture demand in the market. And we're when we look at the market itself, most folks are moving to new channels and new mediums to consume news and education and entertainment. And so you have 
research companies like Nielsen sharing that YouTube is now the top streaming platform in the United States ahead of Netflix. Who's the biggest winner? YouTube TV. YouTube TV owned by Google was able to catapult from getting the Sunday ticket to becoming the dominant player in the live streaming category. I know there's over 150 million Americans on TikTok. There's a significant number of people listening to podcasts and subscribing to Substack newsletters. And so there's this shift happening where folks are going from these traditional media companies to some of these independent media properties to get their information. And so we want to make sure that we are there and meeting our audience and providing them value. And so instead of that, traditional relationship you would have with buying ads inside of other media networks, we said, let's build our own. And we felt that we'd be able to create media properties that served our different audience segments and help us move into that that new phase where folks are consuming more through audio and video. And so we decided to make that strategic investment two years ago, and we've been building on it ever since. You, you mentioned the term portfolio. You and I had, had talked previously about this, about like a portfolio in the marketing sure. context being this thing that you're placing all of these bets and some of them will work and some of them will not work as well, but you're placing bets on different types of shows, on different types of content, on different types of creators, and then also the different personas that you serve. So like, mm-hmm. I think what you all have built at HubSpot is like, the modern marketing or like content marketing sort of strategy, but it also is like the modern marketing strategy where content sits at the center of it. How important is it to you to think about creating multiple types of, of shows for different personas within that? Like, how do you think about that framework and that strategy? Yeah, we take actually kind of a traditional marketing strategy framework where you start with your core business objective. What are we trying to achieve here? And some businesses want to achieve reach and influence in a market to to grow demand for their businesses. Others want to fill pipeline and make sales today, right? Like that objective will change based on where your business is at in its life cycle. And then you would say, okay, if my objective is to reach marketers in the small business segment in the United States, then you say, okay, what channels can I use to reach that audience? And we do some audience research to understand their media consumption habits. And then you go, okay, it seems like marketers seem to listen to a lot of podcasts to get information and case studies and tactics. They seem to actually go to YouTube and find information around case studies and how-tos. Let's build channels and programming that support what they're looking for. And so that's the framework we go through is what's the objective? Who's our audience? What channels are we going to use to reach that audience? And then what content can we make for them? Did you know 71% of consumers buy products based on social media referrals? So if your content isn't strong, my friend, uh, you're losing out on sales. In this video, I'll give you tips for crafting social media content that engages your audience, amplifies your reach, and turns scrollers into shoppers. For us, we just go through that pro- planning process every year. And based on the core objectives of the software business and the audiences that they want to sell to, that's when the media team steps in and says, okay, these are the media properties that we think we can build an audience around and then ultimately convert that audience into demand for the software down the road. 
And at the core of this strategy is video. We're going to talk a bunch about video and YouTube. But first, Meredith, tell us a little bit about the benefits of putting content on YouTube. Yeah, of course. So the biggest thing is that next to Google, YouTube is the second largest search engine and the number one for video. That is Meredith O'Neill, our amazing producer extraordinaire. So I know I go on YouTube daily, really. Um, And so I'm one of its 2.7 billion active users as of 2023. So it has a huge audience that are using it. Um, And over 122 million people visit YouTube every day. The other thing is that videos are way more engaging than text, right? So they're actually 12 times more likely to be watched than text is read. Video is one of the most powerful tools you can use to connect with your audiences online. In fact, across the board, video leads as the most effective content format with the highest ROI. And then a survey by our friends at Unbounce found that videos on landing pages can increase conversion rates by up to 80%, which seems huge. And another sort of like a similar survey by Adweek found that 80% of consumers find video helpful in making a purchase decision. So that's more about like educating consumers. But the other things is like YouTube is free to use. You don't have to have sort of a high production value around your videos, although it helps, I would say. But you can literally post like cell phone videos and they will get more engagement than text itself. And then YouTube is a Google product. So your videos are much more likely to rank in Google search results. So there's definitely a boost to your SEO strategy. And then the other thing is that YouTube lets you add captions and transcripts. So there's better options for accessibility as well. Kyle, obviously, you know, a million benefits of of creating video. Why are y'all investing so heavily in building a YouTube network? Yeah, a lot of the reasons Meredith mentioned, I think we see that shift in, in consumer behavior. We've run a lot of experiments as well. I think, you know, we don't always go all in on a marketing strategy. We take a very tactical approach to experimenting on that channel. And so over the last six months or so, we invested in some more video production. And then we tried to figure out, okay, if we can get more viewership here, can we convert that viewership into demand for the business? And we ran more some conversion rate optimization experiments. And I share all that with you is because we inched into it You know, we did that for a month or two, and then we built a big enough data set where we said, we really think this can be a meaningful channel for the business. And that's when we can build that business case to invest all in on YouTube and build out that network. And so we've been running full steam ahead. We just have found that we can increase the discoverability of our brand and our content on the platform. And we've figured out how to get people from YouTube over to HubSpot.com to take an action. And that's really important for us. I think YouTube can serve two purposes and like growing awareness of your business, but also helping you drive demand. And so this is why we're, we're very focused on it over the next few years. And when you talk about the different types of video, like video and yeah. YouTube, like these are, are massive things that mean a lot of different things, right? There's a huge mm-hmm. difference between a 60-second video and a one-hour video and a how-to and all this stuff. So how do you think of the types of content in your portfolio, specifically like your podcast and video content? Yeah, as a timely question, I'm going through uh, planning annual planning right now. And so we're talking more about, okay, what channels are we investing in? What type of content we sh- w- should we be creating? 
And I'm borrowing a term from the SEOs of the world where they say like, it depends. So the types of videos that we're going to invest in really depend on what the objective is, right? So I think one of our objectives is to help people get started with our software, like increase activations. So the type of content we would create to do that is product tutorials. As much as I would like to, I can't do or be everything for my customers at once. But luckily, I have an assistant who can, my chatbot, and it's free to install. Come, I'll show you how. Once you log into the product, you're starting to like test all the different features. Are there videos that we can create to help walk you through those features and get started using it right away? So you don't need to read a ton of documentation or go to a community and ask a bunch of questions. We can create a short video that's two to five minutes to help you right away. But if our objective is to grow our reach and awareness and get more brand impressions, then we're talking about videos that are more timely. Are we talking about things that are happening in business and tech? And can we get picked up by the YouTube suggested video algorithm to be served up to people who are actively searching for that content? So the way that we think about what what is the content strategy, what type of videos should we make? It goes back to that framework I mentioned. What's the core objective? And then let's figure out the right type of video to help us hit our goals. With the sort of buying changing so much right now, mm-hmm. buying cycles changing, obviously a little different serving SMB than you know a large enterprise, which is what we talk about a lot on this show, which is buying changing people, going to people that they trust more so than brands than ever before. I was just buying a jacket. And I know we take a lot of advice from our consumer pals, and that's part of the point of the show, but I was just buying a jacket online, and there's two different types of jackets, same company that made the jackets, and one had this really cool tutorial by someone at the company, and the other one didn't. And I was like, I don't really feel comfortable buying that jacket, right? Whereas the one where it's like, I saw this guy like walk around in it. And what's so funny is, seeing a a more lo-fi version of this guy putting it on and like turning around and doing all this stuff was way more beneficial to me than seeing the super well-produced, this is how it it zips and this is how the, you know, it's literally features and benefits. Whereas like hearing the guy talk about it and he's like, yeah, you know, we made it with this fuzzy stuff here. It's called the, you know, it's like much more conversational. And then, and then similarly, and I bought a new camera not that this whole show is about stuff that Ian bought recently, but but I bought a new camera and I couldn't find videos from the company that makes the camera, but there's a million YouTube videos on there and of different people doing it. And so like, it's just so interesting to me that we are looking to actual human beings more than ever before for like, what did this person do? And looking for that level of like trust and looking to your peers and looking at all of that and having you know, coming from quote unquote, like the brand is, is one way to do it, but there's a lot of other ways to do it with influencers and people like that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a newsletter called the rebooting. The author is Brian Morrissey. He's the former editor in chief at Digiday. And he wrote this one article on, you know, personality driven brands to institutional brands. And he ended up saying, we're all going to end up in like a house of personal brands. 
So they will be all under this umbrella, but there's going to be people within your organization or that you've built partnerships with that are trusted sources of information. And they're going to be on camera. They're going to be on mic. And to your point, they don't have to have the full TV studio production. They can have some good at-home cameras and mics and help support your prospects and customers to get more conversions for your business. And so I do think that's where we're headed is folks want to trust other people and brands are going to need to figure out, okay, who internally is going to be a great representation of my brand. If you're like most marketers, attracting and converting leads is a high priority. That's why HubSpot Video is a great tool for marketers looking to generate quality leads. And then also who are independent creators out there that I need to partner with to put out content for my audience. Yeah, one of the things that has struck me so much in building all the shows that we've built over the years is that so often people say, like, I want a podcast or like, I want to make a video series. And you're like, yeah, but what are the chances that we're just going to knock it out of the park with this one, that the host is going to be perfect, that the length is going to be exactly what people want, that, you know, is it too formal? Is it not formal enough? Like all these things. They're like, well, this is what fits our brand. And kind of like, I mean, is it? Is that really like, do we think that we could nail it with the brand? Or do we need to look at this stuff a little bit more multi-format, having multiple hosts, having these sort of things? And I think like if you look at what you've done with this awesome network of podcasts, that lets people opt into like, hey, maybe I do like this type of host. Maybe I can't stand this person. But if you only had one, then that person is going to go look somewhere else for that. And I think there's just so much power in building a portfolio and a network. Yeah. Yeah, you bring up a good point. I mean, from a brand perspective, there's definitely some tension with like the core brand team, right? Why isn't the HubSpot orange on every show, right? It's like, are we really getting the brand impressions and, and building audience? But I think it's a spectrum. And so it's like, when we talk about our core business and our software, absolutely, we're following those brand guidelines. We're using the product positioning and messaging. AI is changing the world at a rapid pace, but don't worry, HubSpot's got you covered. But as we move out and we create more media and we're just trying to get in front of audiences, we have to make content that's going to attract them and get them to come back every week. And so to your point, like we've built a network where we have our core values as a brand and like we're looking for certain things in the creators we want to partner with uh, because they're going to be representatives of our brand, but we're not asking them to necessarily endorse us, right? It's not an ad. We're just saying, we believe we can build a great partnership with you. You have a great show. You have a unique point of view. And we want to make sure that your content gets in front of our, our customers and our audience. And I think as long as your, your like partnerships are rooted in those core brand values, you can run a nice thread from an independent media property back to the company and its products. One of the big things that people are so worried about is like selling out and like having too many ads and having all this sort of stuff. Remember Ferris did a survey of his audience and I think it was like 80% of people actually prefer to hear ads from him to learn about new products and services and like 90% don't care at all that, they, that they're being served ads in the first place. And, and he does like five minutes of of pre-roll, which is like wild. My wife was listening the other day for the first time. She never listened to Tim Ferriss. She was like, I think there were five minutes of that. And I was like, yeah, no, it's it's no joke. People, and literally people don't care because he's pulled them. But uh, anywho, 
all that to say, like, there's no right way to do this. And people are so worried about selling out. They're so worried about, you know, is this going to feel like home cooking? Is this going to feel like... The other side of this is you creating content directly from your company is the most home cooking that it could get. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like people are so worried about sort of like these other types of things. Like we all understand, especially with business content, like what the point of it all is, right? So we can sniff that stuff out. I mean, I, and I just don't feel like it's anywhere near as big of a concern to the actual fans as it is. Like if it's an artist that might be a bigger difference if it's, you know, if, you know, whoever. But, you know, it, it, it's just, I don't think it's as big a deal as people make it out to be. So, I, yeah, well, I think it depends who you talk to, right? So, I, like, if I'm talking to an independent creator, they want full editorial independence. So they know that HubSpot is a brand partner, but it's not branded content, right? We are not right. asking them to cover this topic area or this news story or mention our product in their next show they i think there's this balance that brands can find and i'm like really proud that we've we've held this line every show in our network has full editorial independence as long as they align to like our our values and beliefs right we don't say anything derogatory about people we use good judgment on on mic on camera we want to lift people up and provide positive information and so like as long as they're aligned to our core values, they can create whatever they'd like. The way that we weave HubSpot into the episodes is through that pre-roll or mid-roll. Hey there, I'm Jory Monroe. I'm Ariel Boswell. I'm John Dick. Big news, HubSpot's launching a Shark Tank rewatch podcast called Another Bite. You get it, Shark Tank, Another Bite. And sometimes we also offer them guest opportunities like, hey, do you want to find another expert on a given topic to come on your show? So we try to weave them in almost as like native host read ads. And I think that has been a nice balance where creators are like, yes, I get to keep making my show and I'm, I'm backed by this brand that understands what I'm doing. And I will happily uh, endorse them from time to time, uh, but it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, the full editorial uh, calendar for me. It's just something that I weave into the shows themselves. And that's that's exactly what I was what I what I meant is that if you're giving editorial control and you have a value added sponsorship, um, that it's not your audience is mostly not worried about you selling out. Like the, 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 your audience is not sitting here being like, oh my gosh, this technology company sponsors my favorite show or, or they're on the network. They're like all of a sudden, like it is tainted. Where you do have that sort of stuff and, and things do get a little, a little funky is when you're not transparent, you're not upfront with sort of like the relationships with all of it. And again, like still most people understand that media that there is a cost to media right like there's a cost to produce it there's a cost to do that stuff and if you really support the creator either you can give them money on patreon or you can listen to the ads and like most people are okay with that because we've been paying attention sure. to ads our entire life yeah yeah i think that's a great point when i was listening to to the long game podcast in your interview there you mentioned that your contracts with influencers is a little bit different than 
typical, and they usually are around like two years. Is that kind of like the main difference? And how did you kind of determine that timeline? Yeah. So the way we think about it is we're we're not in the business of like traditional advertising. We don't want to run ads on a 30 or 60 or 90 day flight with a creator. We want to find creators that we can have a true partnership with. And we think the best way to do that is to support them financially, provide them capital for a long period of time and offer additional value. So the way that we think about it within our podcast network is we'll approach creators that we think would be a good fit for the network. We've got the best shows on sales, entrepreneurship, leadership, marketing technology, and everything you need to know about business success. We'll ask them about their rates and what they're charging advertisers. And we'll say, okay, we'd like to offer you a fair market value to sponsor and license your content for the next two years. If we do that, the value to them is, okay, I have a brand partner that I trust and believe in, but now I have income coming in every month, right? They don't have to go out and sell ads every single month to fill that inventory. But at the same time, we come to the table and we say, you get to join our network. So you get ads across our network. You get listed on our website. We'll get you distribution in our large email. We'll bring you into our creator community. We have a Slack community and we actually brought 12 creators to the HubSpot inbound event to speak on stage. And so we've put together some nice packaging and value for those creators. And I think that gives us an advantage. You know, I think a lot of brands are going out there and saying, I need to spend this money before the end of the quarter. Can I buy ads with you for 30 days? But that's not that's not what we're interested in. We really want to build a partnership with a show and we want to help foster their growth. And we think that that's mutually beneficial for us. I absolutely love this. And it's something that I was saying like seven years ago when I was starting my media company. And we were talking to organizations and like you could just name the list of advertisers that advertise on podcasts we we're talking to. And I'd be like, let's just do a year. Let's do a two year. Like, why don't we do this? Like, it makes everything easier. We'll fixed rate for the rest of this time. You will get all the upside as, as the show grows, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, and so many advertising organizations are just not built, built that way. But for you all, you're built for the long term. You think about things in a, in a long term way. You understand like lifetime value and, and ACV and all these things that, come with B2B technology and you can do that stuff. And I freaking love it. It is so innovative and it's so cool. And it allows you to flex these muscles, which are so rare in the B2B world, which is finding and cultivating talent. That's like a massive, massive leverage point. Like if you're better at finding creators and partnering with them and elevating their shows, which like y'all are really good at, it's a huge competitive advantage. Whereas like, the alternative to that is like spend more money on like Google ads or, or, you know, on, on, you know, subway takeovers or things like this that like literally don't scale at all. And I just, I love it. I think it's so cool. And you're both invested in the outcome of the show being better and you both want it to be better. Exactly. And you mentioned the point of like cultivating and building a portfolio of talent in the B2B space, our creators talk right? They talk to each other. They tell their friends about the partnership. We've had really two very large shows join our network through a referral. 
And that was fantastic for us. You know, these are shows that are on our radar. We're trying to get a meeting. And they reach out to us and say, hey, we heard about your network. We'd love to set up a call. And I think if you put the creator and the audience first, that is really kind of how we look through all the business problems we're trying to solve. If we say, okay, is this a good thing for our audience? And is this a good thing for the creator? And you can make the unit economics work for your marketing and finance team, then you, you know, you'll find some, you'll find some success. So I've been really excited about it. I think earlier I mentioned we have over 35 shows. And I think like that'll only continue to grow as we as we build some credibility in the space. So how many of those shows are going after like the same types of personas? That's a good question. I think we have a breakdown, but it's it's like, we don't want to cap it, but we do want to say like, okay, if we have three to four shows in the small business marketing space, that feels like we're really covering that audience. Let's talk about some shows that could reach sales reps versus sales directors, or let's talk about shows that could reach founders. I'm Sarah Chen Spellings, and on my show, I travel across the globe in search of what I call the unexpected leader. And it also depends on the size of the show, right? So I think we've started to invest in the last year in shows that reach sales reps. It's a it's a big audience, and, and we want to be there. And so we've picked up some shows that I would say are on, like, they're emerging. You know, they're not huge, huge hit shows, but we believe in the talent. They have a pretty good audience base. So we'll bring in four or five of those shows to reach sales professionals. And so I think that that's a good sweet spot for us. We probably won't do more than that. And then once we find a big show in that audience segment, that lets us pull back on on some of our investments so that we're, we're already reaching them with the top show folks are listening to. I love it. And I think this approach is just so innovative. It's like I said earlier that people are just different with what they like. Some people like to watch 60 Minutes. Some people like to watch, you know, pardon my take, some people like to watch Two Dope Queens. Like, it's just there's so much variety in the length and duration and the topics covered and how serious you are and the, you know, all that stuff that the idea that you could just get it 100% right to get coverage. And I think this idea of like, What's the what is the right amount of coverage which you are all trying to figure out? And like the answer might be a hundred shows, it might be two hundred shows. Like who knows what it actually is, what the number is. But the idea that like if you could get thirteen impressions on HubSpot for every single person and every single persona in in all of your demos, you know, every week or whatever the number would be. It's like what would happen then? And I, I think that that's the stuff that like you're so at the forefront of, of this that it's like we don't know those things yet. But like no one has really ever tried. I mean, you're one of the only people that has like really tried to build this stuff out. And so like we don't know. We don't know like what it what it possibly could be. And it's just super exciting. Yeah. And our like we we have some really great strategy teams that'll do like TAM analysis, total addressable market to figure out like how many marketers do listen to podcasts and like what what is that audience size for us we do a lot of surveys with our customers like what's their media consumption habits like are we even reaching our own customers right hubspot's got over 100,000 customers are we are they all listening to a show the other thing we found in the last year that's been really insightful is you could have a podcast really successful podcast turn it into a video podcast put it on youtube and the audiences are very different. So even though you've built a show for a given persona, 
It's like, well, the people who listen to podcasts in the car at the gym are very different than people who are on YouTube and browsing on their laptop or on their phone. And so we'll create content and we're like building our editorial calendars and we'll always look at our episode performance. And they don't always match. We're like, hey, this episode and topic did really well on YouTube, but it tanked on the podcast and then vice versa. So it actually makes some of our like programming harder to figure out how do we create episodes that serve both of those audiences? It's so hard. And another thing that we've seen on that is having two cameras versus one camera and video is like a huge difference. And if you don't have those other cuts, it's really, really hard to keep someone's interest for a long time. And it's so, and if you look at like, I, I think the numbers are super skewed on video podcasts because of how many of the top shows now do them and how many of the top shows have so many listeners and they can all afford to have multi-cam setups. And they usually have two to three hosts or like a host producer, you know, plus guests. So they're having like really like three shots that are interchanged plus a wide. So it's like four different shots sometimes. So anyways, all that to say, like it's a completely different medium and if you look at like TikTok and all that other stuff, you're talking about super fast cuts. So it's just when it's visual like that, you can't get away with the stuff that you get away with on a podcast. Like you just can't. There can't be like super slow moments, generally speaking, of course. And, and that stuff is like endlessly complex and video is really expensive to produce. And it still is like it, so it's just, it's really all exciting to me and I love nerding out about it because it's like, these are all the things that like why there have been so many barriers to entry to do this type of thing is like, it's extremely complex and it's a lot easier to just go spend more money on LinkedIn ads. Like it's just easier. It's easier. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say one of my like, my, not one of, my two favorite teams that that I manage are producers and ops, right? Like they make everything happen uh, behind the scenes because it is so difficult we also, I would say, like one thing we found over the last two years is we'll start, we'll make investments in uh, increments, kind of similar to like old broadcast TV, right? A network would invest in a pilot. If the pilot did well, you'd get season one and you'd get a contract for the first season. And if the season did well, maybe they'd sign you for three more. We do a similar thing. Well, we'll, we'll launch a new show concept that we're excited about. We'll say, okay, here's how many episodes we're going to release. And then here's the reach we'd like to get out of the show. Like, this is our goal. And if the show does well for a period of time, it could be three months, six months, 12 months even, then we'll say, okay, we've built a big enough audience here. It's a proven concept. We like our segments. Let's invest in video. Like, let's, let's put some money into the camera setup and let's try to move this onto YouTube as well. And so I do think like, for folks that are just trying to get started, whether you're like a startup or you're a creator, you don't have to go right in on video right away because to your point, it's expensive, it's more complicated. I think you can get something out there, see if the audience reacts to it. And if they do, then invest in you know upgrading a little bit. I love it. How do you think of like the ROI of content marketing? I, I know it's an endlessly complex topic, but for y'all, you're sure. I think at the forefront here. It's like being a media company inside of a software company, you can imagine we have this conversation a lot where finance and product are like, hey, is that podcast generating leads and revenue for us? The way we think about it and, and communicate internally is each one of our media programs can serve 
really two objectives. One is it can support the business's goals of reach and influence. Can we create demand for HubSpot in the market by driving brand impressions to our target audiences? The other thing our media properties can do is they can convert audiences into leads for the business. And so if you go to each one of our programs I mentioned earlier, you have our blog. Is our blog driving new traffic to the site? And is it converting traffic into leads through a lot of those downloadable offers that are uh, available on the site? For YouTube, are we driving new, unique, organic views? And are we getting people to go from YouTube over to HubSpot.com to take an action? On the podcast side, we generally value it based on reach and we'll assign a CPM value and we'll say, hey, the reach of our original show is actually more efficient than if you were to go buy ads on another show. So for each one of our programs, we have a reach and kind of a demand or value metric. And we report those every month and then those get rolled up to reporting to leadership in the business. There's a lot of people who sort of do the, you know, build versus buy. Should we sure. should we make stuff in-house versus should we just sponsor other stuff? My advice tends to be that you should probably have a blend. Yeah. That you want to have your own original series in-house, but also podcast ads are are a really good medium to get information out there at a very specific time before a product launch, things like that. Yeah. You can be very timely with those things with your investments and they're sort of built to be timely as well. Curious, like how do you think about that stuff with the fact that you have this whole network? Yeah. So we talk about like timely and timeless and like we'll we'll want to invest in content that's more evergreen and we can say like, okay, this is an audience we know the business is going to want to attract for years, right? Like mm-hmm. for us, it's an obvious one, like marketers at small businesses, right? Like those are folks that we want to know about HubSpot. And so we'll invest in a show or a YouTube channel that creates content for that audience. And that's something that'll be timeless for us. Like we're going to invest in an owned audience there. If there's a campaign or an objective where it's like, hey, we need to fill the pipeline over the next 90 days to help the business hit a revenue goal, absolutely. You know, we have a paid acquisition team that's doing a lot of our media buying on other shows in our category to help push that message into the market. So I think like you mentioned, I like totally agree that most brands need a mix. It's like, I'm going to invest in these core media properties for the audiences I know I'm going to want to reach long-term. And then if there are these, I guess, like brand building or spike plays where we want to reach a target audience during a given like set period of time, let's talk about advertising. So for the marketing folks and, and content leaders that are listening, they're probably thinking, yeah, this is all great, but your HubSpot, you invented inbound, you have this content motion that has been there since the very beginning of the company, you're very forward thinking in this way, and you have all the money in the world to, to be able to, to invest in you know, a, a network of 36 shows and, and building this YouTube network. We don't have that. What would your advice be to those folks? Yeah, I think one thing that we do is we do go to market quickly and we'll try to build things and and set a goal for ourselves in a short period of time. Like our podcast network came together 
starting in 2021, right? Like we've built this thing in two years. YouTube was not something where we had a significant investment from the business last year, but we knew it was something we wanted to invest in. We knew it would be beneficial to the business. So we started to do experiments. And I, I like, I go back to that, but we just said, okay, let's start a YouTube series. We'll have one producer, we'll have one on-camera talent. Let's put it out there, see how it does, report on our results, and just keep being consistent in that delivery. We also did some YouTuber partnerships. We reached out to some YouTubers and we said, hey, we're like starting this new YouTuber creator thing. Like, do you want to partner with us? We'd love to learn from you and like try a couple things. And most folks are open to that. I think like we just have a bias towards action and we want to try it, get it out there. And we always build a case. And I think like anyone who's listening to this, like I, you don't necessarily need a ton of money, like get something out there, get the data points, build the case, and then go back to your business leaders and say, I believe that if we continue investing in this podcast or in this YouTube channel, we can hit these business goals and here's the budget I'll need. And I think they'll respect you for that. But I think going in cold is kind of the mistake I've seen from a lot of folks, which is. I have this big vision, I have this big budget ask, and then it doesn't happen. And then you're like, oh man, I'm kind of defeated. Just start, just start. I mean, you can go to Best Buy and get a Logic Cam and a Blue Yeti microphone and you can deliver value to your audience right away. And you'd be surprised at how many people are gonna watch that video and then ultimately take an action. We were talking earlier about some of the YouTubers that um, like show you their jackets, right? And like, and yeah. why you purchased that one. The other place I've seen it super successful is like just hardware and like home improvements. I think it took Home Depot and Lowe's a little while to figure out that those videos needed to be on YouTube. To install your own carpet, all you need is patience and the right tools, which you can rent at the Home Depot. If you go on yeah. there, you'll find painters and carpenters who are just like setting up their phone and they're like, hey, let me show you how to do this right? And like they have hundreds of thousands of views. And so that's what I'd encourage these marketers to do that if you're at a smaller company, you don't have a big budget, just add value, just add value, get something out there and people will respect you for it and find your company. Yeah. I'll add a caveat there. That is you can do the intellectual part, the part that is like building a show that feels good, that, that is going mm -hmm. to be a good show obviously we work with tons of folks on this where like they come to us an idea that's like really bad and they're like, Hey, we want to make a show about blank. And you're like, cool. They're like, and, and, and we're just going to like roll the cameras and just see how it goes. It's like, that is not what Kyle is saying. No, you're no. saying like, have a very clear premise and deliverable and audience target and demographic and persona that you are trying to bring a specific amount of value for then run that as a pilot rather than exactly. like turning on Zoom and talking because that is the thing that like I've seen so many companies do that and then sure. nobody can figure out the business value and then they yep. kill it. Yeah, And it's like, yeah, it, it could be avoided. Oh, for sure. You're exactly right. And I appreciate that addition. Like we, we do so much in pre-production, right? Like yeah. who are we trying to reach? What value can we bring to them? And you, you can sit there and script your intro, right? You can script your intro and your hook and figure out, okay, these are the three or four things that I'm going to talk about today. Here's my CTA. Here's where I'm going to place my CTA within my video. None of that takes capital, right? That's just your time and planning something out and doing it properly. 
As with any new marketing endeavor, you want to start with planning. The first thing you want to ask yourself is what sort of podcast best fits your brand? And then roll out that video, roll out that episode and tweak it and improve it. So you're exactly right. I think you got to sit down and really plan, plan something before you ship it. Yeah, well, we, what our advice is, and I have a podcast planning worksheet that I get literally, you can email me. Oh, nice. You know, Caspian Studios, yeah. I'll send it to you. And it'll, it'll plan your entire show. Cool. And that's what we said. We're like, go fill this whole thing out. Like, come back to us. We'll take a look at it. We'll go pitch your leadership team and then tell them why this needs to exist. And like, yeah. that's the thing. It's like, you have to have the conviction that this needs to exist and that there isn't someone filling this little void and that that you should be doing it. And that like, we would like these questions to be answered for our audience. And like, mm -hmm. that is it. And people are like, well, do we need another podcast? And you're like, do we need another music? Should should Taylor Swift just like close close the guitar case? She's never, never making anything else again. Like, that's not yeah. how the world works. There's always something new. There's something at the cutting edge. There's something else that needs to be talked about. And like, it's like, we get in that mode where it's like, well, there's a lot of noise out there. It's like, you know, there's, it's all of history is, is noise. Like people didn't stop creating stuff. Yeah. I think also like, just ask your customers and ask your leadership team, like, Hey, where do you get your information? Like if you're going to buy a product or you're going to pay for a service, like where do you go to get information? And a lot of them will say, Oh, well I go on YouTube and look up things or, Oh, I listened to this podcast and I learned X, Y, and Z. And that's where we we actually picked up a lot. Like we just talked to the people who subscribe to our blog and we talked to the people who are HubSpot customers and we're just like, hey, where do you get your business news? Then they had said, oh, podcasts. We're like, awesome. We needed the Hustle Daily Show, a daily tech and business podcast to help serve that audience. I'm Mark Dent here with Rob Litterst and this is the Hustle Daily Show. So I'm with you. Just like, just ask the question and then you can build a pretty easy case around it. Yeah, that's how, when we made, why we made Murder in HR is like, we just drew concentric circles of people who are in HR and people who mm -hmm. like murder mysteries or true crime. <laughs> and there's a massive overlap. And we there said, let's make a show for those two audiences. And it's like, yep. if you go ask like, you know, 10 marketers or, or 10 HR people or whatever, hey, what's their favorite thing? And they're like, oh my gosh, I love the car. That's why we made this show. Like, I love the Kardashians or I love true crime or I love Archer. Or I love these other things. And it's like, well, nobody in B2B makes that stuff. So like, maybe we should sort of push the boundaries a little bit more to make stuff that people just generally like. And I think that it's just those types of thoughts that get you to the next big idea to get you to something that is consumable, that people is remarkable, that people love. For sure. I love that point too. Like we talk about it all the time around just like bring, be like genuine and just like bring pop culture into your conversations. Like it doesn't, B2B ha doesn't have to be boring, right? Like you don't have to get on there and here's the 10 tips to do X, Y, and Z. That stuff is effective and it does work well, but on a lot of the audio video stuff, it's more personality driven. Like just be yourself, talk about sports, talk about music, talk about cooking, like bring it into the content. And I think the audience is going to connect with you more because of that. And yeah. I think you guys have proved that with your new show. Yeah, I always say that there's there's two famous stories. One where they did a listicle and the other one where they didn't. And everyone knows Adam and Eve, but it's hard to remember the Ten Commandments. So it's like listicles are great, <laughs> but a story is usually better. Sure. Um, 
what's next for for HubSpot? What's next for uh, the YouTube network? What's next for for what y'all are doing? Yeah, we're I think we're going into year three of the network that we've built, and we've been in a mode of let's grow, right? Let's just grow this thing as fast as possible, learn as much as we can, and build out our audience base. And now we really want to refine things. Um, and so I think our podcast network will grow steadily year over year. We're really excited about that. We're bringing on a couple new shows this quarter. I see us continuing to bring on new shows next year. YouTube's where we're really accelerating a lot of our investment. We have three core channels that we're operating today, and we're working on new programming for those audiences. Like, can we bring a new series to them to offer some more value? So I think we've we've figured out the strategy. Okay, here's the audience we're trying to reach. Here are the channels and content that we're going to create for that audience. And now it's a matter of, okay, can we can we polish that up? Can we really have great programming within each show, within each channel, and ultimately build that audience over time? And like I mentioned, we're like still early on. So I don't think we're going to shift course right now. I think we're we're pleased with where we are and we'll keep doubling down. As you can tell, I'm very excited about all this. Uh, and I totally think it's the future. And I think it's honestly the present. And if you look at how many B2B companies that have built out little portfolios of either one or two or three or four or five shows that sure. you see them building more and more of them. And so the fact that you're at 35 plus is incredible. And I'm, I'm so looking forward to, to the next couple of years. Like you said, it's only, been, it's only been a couple. That's the one thing like for folks listening, you have to, you got to commit to this. It is not an ad buy. It's like, you're going to make this show and it's going to grow slowly the first six months. Then you're going to make a tweak and it'll grow a little bit. And then you'll hit a plateau at nine months and then you'll make a tweak, you'll grow up and you just keep going. And once you do, you reach that tipping point where you start building a large audience and you're starting to see those returns on those impressions and ultimately people come into your site. But I always love to mention that when I'm talking about our network, like we're making long-term commitments with, because we believe that's the direction we're going to have to go. And we don't you know, judge a new YouTube series after three months and say, ah, shut it down. It's not working for us. Like, we're committed to it and we'll evaluate it after at least a year. I love it. Kyle, just absolutely wonderful chatting with you today. Any final thoughts? No, thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity. Folks should head over to HubSpot, go to blog.hubspot.com and you'll see a new navigation with all of our podcasts and YouTube channels to check out. Absolutely. Go check out the HubSpot network, so many cool shows, so much cool stuff going on there, both as inspiration and to learn more about marketing. Kyle, thanks again. You're the best and take care. Thank you. See you. See you. Well, that's it for today. I hope you got some good ideas for your B2B content. Thank you for listening to Remarkable. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. Remarkable is created by the team at Caspian Studios, B2B podcast as a service. Caspian also creates fiction series for B2B companies. So if you want a business thriller, you can learn more at caspianstudios.com. Hollywood style storytelling for B2B. And in today's episode, you heard from myself, Ian Faison, and Meredith O'Neill, senior producer here at Caspian Studios. Remarkable was produced this week by Meredith O'Neill, mixed by Scott Goodrich, and our theme song is Solomon by Falak. Be remarkable and rise above the noise.